This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Two headlines from the New York Times. Far-right extremists move from stop the steal to stop the vaccine. And white evangelical resistance is obstacle in vaccination effort. How are the media covering the vaccine effort and white evangelicals? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Are we sure that white evangelicals are united against vaccination? Well, I mean, the question is whether white evangelicals are united about anything. And also the question is whether white evangelicals, once again, are as all-powerful and all-important as the media seems to think they are. You mentioned the um, the far-right extremist story, which is very important and, and very interesting, but it's overwhelmingly secular, online, political, conspiracy-type folks. And frankly, it's kind of interesting that evangelicals don't show up that much in those circles, maybe because there aren't that many of them in the leadership of them. That's something you and I have talked about before. The other story our readers need to know about was the white evangelical resistance's obstacle in vaccination effort. This is a really interesting story by two professional religion writers, both graduates of Wheaton College, and these are people who know evangelicalism, yet once again what we have a framework here is even though it's 45% of evangelicals, or is it evangelicals or white evangelicals? 45% of white evangelicals are reluctant to take the, the vaccinations. 45 is not a majority, and 55 is a majority. So once again, I think we have this mindset we've seen in the last couple of years in the Trump era, let's be honest about it, in which white evangelicals are viewed as some sort of monolith when that doesn't seem to be the case at all. There are differences in evangelical theology. If you've ever been in a room full of evangelicals and they started arguing, you know that there is more than one approach to evangelical theology on a lot of issues. And then there are some groups that are usually called evangelical in the press, but it would be more accurate theologically and historically to refer to them as Pentecostals or Charismatics. And this New York Times article, I think, actually lays out evidence that shows that what's going on here has a lot more to do with thought among kind of this online, freewheeling, charismatic Pentecostal world, which our Julia Dean of Get Religion has written brilliantly about the whole world of the self-proclaimed prophets and that's P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S instead of P-R-O-F-I-T-S, although sometimes those words overlap. She makes the, the case that right now a lot of what's being called evangelicalism and the, the beliefs that are attributed to them and the actions that are attributed to them actually is not evangelical theology as much as it's charismatic Pentecostal. 
And in the vaccine story, that's especially important because a lot of this has to do with your concepts of healing and God's role in healing and also the role of science in how God may deal with healing and sickness in the world today. So once again, very complex subject, big simplistic headline. Does the media coverage, does it acknowledge at least what I've kind of come to call vaccination politics? And that is, well, I'll give you an example. Vice President Harris, when she was still Senator Harris and awaiting her inauguration, while Donald Trump was still president, she publicly several occasions expressed skepticism about getting a vaccine. And now she's a proponent of the vaccinations. That's just one example. And everybody's flip-flopped on this a little bit. Most people of that political bent have flip-flopped a little bit on this. It is a political issue as well as the issues that you mentioned before about, you know, maybe some of these fringe charismatic groups just not trusting medicine as much as the rest of America. Yeah. No, there's no question that this kind of radical libertarian patriot they, they love to call themselves patriots. There's, there is this, this branch of conservatism right now, which is very much get the government out of my life, leave me alone, and even if that means not taking the vaccine or even if that means believing that because there are liberal figures like the founder of Microsoft, you know, involved, you know, in some of the vaccine, they tend to focus on him rather than, you know, Dolly Parton uh, here in East Tennessee, who was an early crucial financial supporter of one of the vaccines. There's just not one evangelical Christianity on this. And there's not even one political conservatism on this, because after all, Trump took the vaccine, it turns out, probably earlier than we were let on, obviously trumpeted his success with the vaccine development program, and people can argue about the degree to which he deserves all of the credit or some of the credit or any of the credit, but Trump is a supporter of the vaccine. And then here's another crucial point, and this shows up in the New York Times piece, but it shows up better in the national public radio piece. And get the difference between these two headlines. The framing so critical. White evangelical resistance is obstacle in vaccination effort. That's the New York Times. National Public Radio. Love your neighbor and get the shot. White evangelical leaders push COVID vaccines. Now, if you read the stories, those stories are actually totally compatible with each other. If you put one word into the equation, if you changed the New York Times headlines to some white evangelical or some resistance among white evangelicals is obstacle. Because once again, 45% is not an insignificant amount. But the story shows, but then it doesn't affect the headline or the framing of the story, that as a rule, the major leaders of white evangelicalism are supporting the vaccines and pushing their people to get the vaccines and let's get back to worshiping in church and the whole bit. And we're talking people the level of Franklin Graham and Pastor Jeffress of First Baptist Dallas and 
J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, tweeted out a picture of him getting his shot. Catholic leaders debated early on the moral issues of abortion tissues being evolved generations ago, DNA speaking, perhaps in the development of some of the vaccines. They clarified that very early on and have stressed the importance of their people getting the, the vaccines, and I realize that's not white evangelicalism, but Catholics are a huge part of the American media and religious culture. So once again, it's just too simple. And I think the, the bigger story here is whether or not this charismatic Pentecostal prophets movement is opposing the vaccines, and whether that group's powerful presence in social media has somehow steered some crucial media coverage. The New York Times story ends up saying that basically white evangelicals in America are even misleading the black church in America, as if those are two groups of people that listen to each other a lot, except among charismatic Pentecostals. And then it says that white evangelicals are steering the African church wrong on the vaccine issue. And once again, I bet if you check that, you'll find that the vaccine doubts are among Pentecostals and charismatics, not among evangelical Methodists and Baptists and Anglicans, you know, and everybody else in Africa. You just need to back off and admit that what we call evangelicalism is more complex than the press makes it. At the very least, given the fact that many of these Pentecostal charismatic churches don't consist of a predominantly white laity. That is, too. Isn't it difficult to prove the narrative that white evangelicals are resisting vaccine? They haven't proved it. They've proved a significant of them have. But if anything, they've proven once again, much as we saw during coverage of the Capitol Hill riots, and much as we saw, frankly, throughout the the entire Trump era, they've proven a pretty substantial split within evangelicalism between what we might call the more leadership-oriented class of the Southern Baptist Convention and the Assemblies of Gods and others and a lot of people in the pews. I am not selling short the fact that there are evangelicals out there online and listening to podcasts and whatever who are fiercely opposed to the vaccines. I'm also not saying that they haven't forced some pastors to be fired and that there aren't major splits in churches out there. But splits in churches and tensions are not evidence of uniformity. They are evidence of division. So if the headline was white evangelicals divided over taking the vaccine, I'd be praising them. If it said some white evangelicals are supporting the vaccines and clashing with this online world of Pentecostal and charismatic leaders, I'd cheer a story that said that, because that seems to be the evidence of what's actually in the New York Times story and also what's in the NPR story as well. Is this the same error that the media made when they were trying to parse black and Hispanic support for President Trump, they did not take into account the religious 
inclinations of some of those supporters. Sort of, except in that case, we're strictly talking about political issues, although in many cases linked to abortion and moral and social issues. They just couldn't, you know, they didn't know how many Latino evangelicals and charismatics there are. And they didn't know some of the divisions within the black church as well. But in this case, that's another part of the story that I thought was fascinating. They blamed everything on white evangelicals, when in recent months there has been an entire other stream of story about black church leaders trying to get their people to trust the government enough for completely different reasons than some white evangelicals, but trying to get black Christians to trust the government enough to get vaccinated and to get the help that they need. And once again, there really aren't any specific numbers there, but if you kind of read between the lines, it looks like the African-American church is divided, especially among charismatic Pentecostals and evangelicals, that it's divided over whether to take the vaccine. So let me remind our listeners of one thing. The fact that there are such heated debates among evangelicals, charismatics, and Pentecostals about the need to take the vaccine or to trust the government programs that led to the vaccines, the fact that these arguments are so fierce and so heated is evidence not of white evangelical unity on this topic. It's evidence of division. And that's not the way the top of the New York Times story is framed. And that's certainly not the way the headline is framed. And it doesn't give people, it's there go the white evangelicals again. When in reality, what we have is the white evangelicals are divided once again. And that doesn't fit our template. So Terry, here's my theory about vaccination as a political statement. And I'll just put it in very broad brush terms. I'm not trying to be terribly accurate politically here. Supporters of the Biden administration have portrayed vaccination as your political duty, your patriotic duty. And I think maybe that is where the not so much skepticism, but mild resistance is found among some evangelicals, taking into account what you said before about who's really resisting this. It's not because they don't trust the vaccine or the science. It's that it's become so politicized, they are uncomfortable with making that political statement when asked by someone calling them getting their opinion, a survey taker. They yeah. don't want to make that political statement. So rather than say, it, it's, it is their way of saying, I don't support the Biden administration. Well, and even before there was a Biden administration, we could see some arguments about this. Like I said, among kind of the more libertarian, freewheeling, leave me alone element of the Republican Party, a, a handy thing to have included in these stories would just be a simple poll figure for what percentage of Republicans hesitate to take the vaccine as opposed to Democrats and then to try to pursue what the divisions are among Republicans over this. I predict you would find some very similar fault lines, which brings us to a whole other subject. I mean, you're familiar, I'm sure, with 
my Get Religion colleague and the very important political science thinker, Ryan Berg, who does, you know, the thousands, it seems like, interesting charts plunging into data from major surveys and parsing out the religion ideas. Ryan and I have this ongoing argument, and I wrote my column this week. This week is the start of the 33rd year of the On Religion column. So I wrote my annual anniversary column, and it's an interview with Ryan Berg. And Ryan and I have a bit of a difference between us on how we view the exact topic you're saying. And I think it simply has to do with our age, in that he's about half as old as I am. I have, frankly, a wiser and older point of view. And I've been around long enough to remember people like Chuck Colson and Richard John Newhouse and remember some of the the political theology of that era. And I think to some degree, there were a large number of Democrats, Catholics, Southern evangelicals, and a whole bunch of others who converted in terms of voting. They started voting for Republicans as a part of the whole thing that was called the Reagan Democrats and the switchover of the old Southern Democrats. They changed their minds over issues like abortion, prayer in public schools, you know, and the, the kind of the moral revolution of the 60s, and a bunch of stuff like that. And they haven't changed their mind. They're still very dependable parts of the Republican coalition. And because they didn't have any choice, many of them, not all, but many of them voted for Trump. So there's that generation of people involved in this. I predict to you that most of those people are, don't have any problem at all with the vaccine. The Reagan Democrats and a lot of the evangelical Southern Baptists and a bunch of others who switched to the Republican Party back in the 70s and into the 80s. But then, obviously, within the last decade, we've had a second wave of political activism among evangelicals, charismatic, and Pentecostals. And like it or not, this all reaches its climax in the Trump era. And who's going to be willing to back Donald Trump? And who does Donald Trump speak for? I have no idea, if he was alive today, how Richard John Newhouse, what he would think of Donald Trump. I don't know how Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson, would have dealt with Donald Trump and with some of his followers, but I guarantee you they would have been conflicted. And I guarantee you they would not be tweeting out right now the sort of opposition to the vaccines based on conspiracy theories and you're going to be able to get 5G Wi-Fi through your teeth if you've had the vaccines and, you know, aliens and all, I mean, all of the stuff, and aliens is by far not the majority conspiracy, but there are wild conspiracies out there. When Ryan says that what we're seeing in our age is a lot of people are making their theology fit their politics instead of trying to find a way for their politics to fit their theology. I think Ryan is talking more about the last decade of online, Twitter, podcasting, chat groups in the far back extremes of Twitter and QAnon, 
a lot of those people's theology to me seems to be emerging from their political convictions about all kinds of subjects, from immigration to vaccines to whether or not you can trust the government at all, and ultimately whether you need to try to grab a gun or something else and try to go to the U.S. Senate and overthrow what you view now as an invalid government. But you know what? That isn't what happened in the 70s and the 80s. A lot of those people had political convictions, but more than that, they had theological convictions, especially about Roe versus Wade and a host of life issues associated with it. And that's my generation. I know, oh gosh, so many of my friends fit into that category. Almost all of us were pro-life Democrats at one time or another. And so many of those people have been struggling to find a political options that fit their theology. I don't think you can say they're trying to make their theology fit their politics, because their politics, that whole generation, the Reagan Democrats, their politics was that they were conservative Democrats. They were populist Democrats. They were Catholic Democrats. They were white Southern Democrats and black Southern Democrats. A lot of those people from that era, that's the best way to explain who they were. That's not who we see in the opening paragraphs of this New York Times story. And that's not who we keep seeing in the conspiracy theory stories, period. So two final questions for you. The first is, can you explain, just for the sake of argument, the New York Times? It's not exclusive to them, but it, they certainly are guilty of this. They're apparent obsession with white evangelicals as kind of the problem at the root of every social problem we have. Well, they utter, they have to have someone to blame for Trump. And it doesn't help to blame Trump on Midwestern Catholics and Latino evangelicals and charismatics in Florida. I mean, but the white evangelicals are the perfect enemy. They oppose you on sexuality. They oppose you on a lot of social issues other than that. They oppose you on abortion. They oppose you in terms of who they want to see at the Supreme Court. And yes, lots of them wanted Donald Trump, and lots of them bit their lips and were willing to accept Donald Trump. So I think to some degree, the obsession with the white evangelicals is we've got to have somebody to blame for Donald Trump. And these are the enemies of the blue zip code media establishment on just about every issue, and also including a source of great pain to me through the years. They're also among the people who most hate the mainstream press. And don't a lot of reporters and editors just want to hate them back? I mean, I can understand that. I don't think it's constructive, but I can understand it. So that would be my answer to your question, those two reasons. And then finally, is it honest reporting for the New York Times to kind of troll random Facebook pages or yeah. groups oh, yeah. and report this as indicative of any significant segment of the population? Well, it, they're a significant part of this independent, freewheeling, online, bizarre world, in my opinion, of charismatic and Pentecostal freelancers. They represent them. 
But to what sense do these people that they find online and pluck out are this tiny church in the hills of North Carolina that doesn't even have a, a internet site and hold that up as a major evangelical compared to the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention and the leaders of the Assemblies of God, you know, and the leaders of major parachurch groups. And Franklin Graham, who you disagree with him on Trump, but he's now trying to get people to take the vaccines. Let me just read you one section of the New York Times story that I think is at the heart of both of our concerns. Two paragraphs. There are about 41 million white evangelical adults in the U.S. About 45% said in late February they would not get vaccinated against COVID-19, making them among the least likely demographic groups to do so, according to the Pew Research Center. 45%. Okay, now listen to this quote. If we can't get a significant number of white evangelicals to come around on this, the pandemic is going to last much longer than it needs to, said Jamie Ayton, founder and executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, an evangelical institute in Illinois. So my conclusion in question, is 55% of the white evangelicals a significant number of white evangelicals? in comparison with 45%? I mean, why is 55% of them an insignificant number? And why does 45% need to be portrayed as if that is all of evangelicalism? Especially when you have such significant theological disagreements as between Reformed evangelicals, traditional Baptist evangelicals, and this completely different theological universe of the charismatic and Pentecostal prophets and their independent churches, movements, etc. It's just more complex than these people want it to be. Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.